decir. Exodus 19:16 through 20. On the Morning of the third day, there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. When Mo then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain, now descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to t the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we want to see your glory in the pages of your word. I ask that you'd open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Sarah just read from Exodus chapter 19, and I would ask that you please keep the image that that passage paints in your mind as we go to the book of Luke this morning. Think of the, the mountain trembling and shaking from the thunder of God's voice and the smoke that veiled it and all the people hearing the voice of God. Just ask you to keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to it a little bit later. Normally, as I preach, I have a simple goal. I want the main point of my message to be the main point of the text that I am preaching from. I want to communicate exactly the same thing that God's word says. And that is my goal this morning. So what I do as a preacher is normally, most Sundays, I give a little introduction. Hopefully it's interesting and engaging. And then I invite you to see what's in the text with me, and then we conclude trying to understand what it means for our lives as a Christian, how you follow Christ. If you're not a Christian, why you should follow Christ. This morning, though, I mean, I am actually going to do something just a little bit different. That is what I'm going to do in a couple of minutes. But right now, there is a verse in our passage that could be enormously distracting because it has been misunderstood. And so if I were to go straight through the text, wanting to show the main point of the text, this verse could be very distracting, so I want to address it first. And I'm just going to say real clearly, this is not the main point of my message. We want to talk about it so we can get to what really matters. 
So if you have your Bible, or if you didn't bring a Bible, that's fine. We've got Bibles all about the room here. You can find them under the seats in front of you. I would encourage you to grab one. I'm in the book of Luke, which is most of the way through your Bible. And it's a large book, so I'd encourage you to find it. Find chapter 9, and follow along with me as I read. And I'm just going to read one verse to begin with. Luke chapter 9, verse 27. Jesus says, But I tell you truly... There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What does that verse mean? Some have wrongly thought that Jesus believed the kingdom would happen quickly and soon, and so he is predicting his triumphal return, and he did not predict it accurately, that Jesus was wrong. There are a few famous atheists that look at this verse and and say, Jesus cannot be trusted. He predicted that his kingdom would begin, and it did not. And so we have to wrestle with the fact, is that what this verse says? And when we answer questions like that, it's critical that we look at the verse itself to make sure that we're understanding what it is. I don't want to take something from outside of it and twist it and persuade you that it says something different than what it really says. So to begin with, I want to look at it very carefully and show you that from within the verse, that interpretation does not Makes sense. Jesus was not saying that his kingdom in its final glory would come soon or quickly, not in the way that you and I would expect or think. And the context makes that very clear. So, to begin with, let me give you two reasons why that cannot be the case. He says, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, think for just a moment about what Jesus preached when he said the kingdom of God is at hand and what he invited his followers to when he said, you need to repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He says here, some will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. But Jesus invites his followers to rule and reign with him. It's a very bizarre thing if he says, good news, guys, some of you are going to die right after the kingdom starts. Right? But that's what it would imply if he's saying that the kingdom of God will come soon because he says, some of you will not taste death until, meaning some of you will die after the kingdom begins. But when Jesus is ruling and reigning, the Bible says death will be no more. His kingdom is an eternal, everlasting kingdom. So he's not saying that the people that see this kingdom will never die. In fact, just the opposite. He's saying some of you are going to see the kingdom and then die. Now that's not his main point, but that's clear just from within the verse here. The other thing that's also clear is Jesus teaches that when he comes in power and glory to rule and reign for all of eternity, it will be unmistakable. It will be universal. Every eye will see. Every knee will bow. But that's not what he says here. He says, some of you will see this. 
Meaning that it's also bizarre if he's predicting the kingdom comes in all its fullness and all of its glory because he's saying here that only some of you will see it. Not all of you will see it. And in the context, it becomes clear that that he's saying, some of you will follow me, and those of you who follow me, you will see the kingdom. But not everyone will follow me. Some of you will not follow me, and you will miss it entirely. If it's possible to miss the kingdom, Jesus is not talking about his second return in power and glory with angels. He's talking about something else. So the question is, What is Jesus talking about? Now, in our text today, we're going to look at something. It's got a big fancy word, the transfiguration. All that word means is that Jesus' appearance was changed. He looked like just a normal human being one moment, and then the next moment, the text describes how there is light beaming out of his face. His clothing is changed, so it is dazzling white that moment revealed some of who Jesus is in his divine power and glory. Some have said that passage immediately follows what Jesus said, and so this passage is actually fulfilling what Jesus predicted. But I actually don't think that's the case, and again, I would urge you to look at the text. So, verse 28 says... Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray, and that's when Jesus' glory is revealed. Now, it says that happened eight days after Jesus described, some of you will not taste death until you see me coming in my kingdom or until you see the kingdom of God. That's a really weird thing to say, if he's only talking about a space of eight days. If I looked at you and said, some of you will not die until next Sunday, we would kind of hope that everyone would live until next Sunday, right? It's a little bit of a bizarre statement to make if he's intending to fulfill it just over a week later. So I don't think that's what it means. Additionally, not only that, Jesus' transfiguration is just a brief moment. He reveals his glory, and then when they descend from the mountain, says, no one talked about it. And then he went to Jerusalem, and he was crucified, and he died. So, that means that the power of the kingdom does not start then. Uh, Mark's gospel, when it records this saying of Christ, the, the words are a little different. The sense is exactly the same. Truly, there will be some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. But he adds, the kingdom of God coming in power, which means that there's some lasting change. It's not just a momentary revelation. There's some difference that changes. And Jesus said, some of you are going to see this change. Some of you will live to see it. Others of you will die without seeing it. So the question is, what does he mean? Well, the critical thing that we have to answer, that I believe the New Testament makes very clear, is what is the kingdom of God? You can learn some about it in the Old Testament. You can learn some about it looking at the future, Jesus' final rule and reign, 
But interestingly, the way the New Testament talks about the kingdom is that it begins in power when Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, that might not seem true to you or I. We we might not think of ourselves as living in the kingdom of God, but that is how the writers of the New Testament describe Jesus in power and in glory. And to demonstrate that, again, I would drive you to the text of Scripture, and I want to give you one reference. If you're already in Luke, go over to chapter 22, and I think it's so helpful to make sure that we listen to the book that we're studying I'm not taking a different part of the Bible and twisting this verse. From the same book, you can see that what I'm describing is true. So Luke 22, Jesus is on trial, and they're asking him about, are you the Christ? And he said, the end of 67, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. Verse 69 is so critical, but from now on, The Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Jesus talks about the power of God beginning shortly after the crucifixion. He says it's very clear that he is going to be seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he says, this is at hand. And in fact, the New Testament describes this as being true and real. So, Stephen, the first martyr, as he's dying, has a vision of Christ at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ruling in power as Stephen is laying down his life. Paul, in Philippians, says this, and note the tense. This this is in the perfect tense. He says, therefore, speaking of Jesus, God has exalted him. That's a past action with a present result. It means Jesus is currently exalted. But in the future, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In other words, Jesus is in a position of power and authority and exaltation right now. He has been there ever since the resurrection. The kingdom of God, in one sense, is now, but there is the possibility that you and I will miss it. Some of you will die and miss what Jesus has done and what he will do. Some of you will have a vision of who Jesus is in the pages of Scripture, and you will trust him. And when he returns in power, you will be ready to rule and reign with him. The question is, what do you believe about Jesus today? The truth is, not everyone Jesus spoke to lived to see the kingdom. Judas famously betrayed the Lord Jesus. And he committed suicide before the resurrection, before the day of Pentecost. Before Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, Judas Judas never saw the glory of Jesus. And when Jesus says to us in this passage, some of you will not see the glory of Jesus, I believe he means until it is too late. There will come a day when you will bow your knee, but if you are not ready for it, that day will not be a day of salvation for you. That will not be a day of blessing for you. That will be a day of judgment And so I would urge you this morning to be ready to meet 
the Lord Jesus. And so there are three things that I want to say in the text this morning. I want to see who Jesus is, and we're going to see a confession of the Christ. We're going to see Peter name who he is specifically. Then we're going to see Jesus' invitation to follow. So there's a call to follow the Christ. And then finally, we're going to see a greater picture of who Jesus is in a cloud of glory. Remember, I asked you to keep that cloud on Mount Sinai in your mind that we read from Exodus. Bear that in mind. It will help you understand who the Christ is this morning. And I want to invite you, looking at Jesus, to follow him with all your heart and with all your life. Christian, if you already know the Lord, you've trusted that his blood has been shed for you and you've asked him to forgive you for your sins, that means that I'm going to invite you to walk with the Lord in greater obedience, with greater dedication. If you don't know the Lord this morning, I am thrilled that you are with us. I am thrilled that you are here. And I want to invite you to place your faith and trust in Jesus because he loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead. He is the king. He is returning. And so I want to invite you to repent, be baptized, and believe that Jesus forgives all your sins because he died for you and rose from the dead. But first... Let's look at the confession of the Christ. Read with me verses 18 through 22 in Luke chapter 9. It says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old had risen. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God, the anointed one, the Messiah, that, that king that was promised in the Old Testament. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the confession of the Christ. Jesus affirms that Peter is right. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the one who is appointed and empowered by God to rule and reign. He is the one who will judge justly. He will provide for and protect the people of God. And yet Jesus says, although this is true, tell no one because I am going to die. Before Christ rules on an earthly throne, he will be rejected and die. This is part of why Jesus says, do not tell anyone. Because if the people heard that Jesus was claiming to be the Christ, they would have no idea what he was going to do. I had someone email me this past week and ask explicitly, why did Jesus tell his disciples not to tell anyone? And I think part of the reason is because the Christ was going to die and no one expected that. But here's part of the reason too, and and I don't want to miss this. Jesus had said earlier, he's teaching in parables because the people had already rejected God's truth. When his disciples asked him, why are you speaking this way in a way that's not clear and easily understood? He said, I am speaking this way so that hearing they may not hear and seeing they may not see. 
because they had already rejected God's truth. In chapter 7, he described how John the Baptist came preaching with fire and he came warning the people, said, repent, believe that the kingdom of God is at hand, be ready, be right with God, trust that he'll forgive your sins and be ready for the king to rule and reign. And then Jesus came preaching the joy of the kingdom. He's healing people. He's saying your sins will be forgiven and he's forgiving the sins of anyone and everyone Tax collectors, prostitutes are finding forgiveness of sin, but most people rejected both John and Jesus. And so when Jesus says, don't tell people I'm the Christ, I believe another part of the reason why is because they had already rejected what God had told them. And there comes a time when God says, you've had enough information, and if you don't believe me, he will not continue to give you more, to bless you with more. So there's a warning there that says, if you're not responding to God's truth, it may be too late. Don't put this off. Be right with God today. Listen today. Believe today. Repent today. Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ. And then Jesus helped him know more of what that meant. And so the confession becomes a call to follow the Christ. Now read with me verse 23 through 27. And he said to all, meaning he's no longer talking to the exclusive disciples anymore. He's speaking more broadly to a crowd. If anyone, you or I, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? Or whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That last verse is full of hope. It's assurance. Saying some of you are going to follow and some of you are going to see the power of the kingdom and you're going to have hope. You're going to have assurance. But some of you, some of you will not follow Christ. Some of you will not take up your cross And someday the Son of Man is going to be ashamed of you and you will not have the hope of the gospel. Jesus makes this very clear that this is true for everyone. You and I each have a responsibility to respond to who Jesus is. Jesus makes it clear if you live for yourself now, you will lose Everything. Living for yourself demonstrates that you don't fully believe who Jesus is. You care more about your comfort. But if you count everything as loss now, then you'll have something that you won't lose even in death. Jesus is saying to you and I, If you only care about having a nicer house with more bathrooms, if you only care about having a more comfortable car or or, or, a second vacation home, or if those are your goals in life, you will lose them all. You cannot take it with you. And you may miss who Jesus is. 
And you may be entirely unprepared for eternity. And there will come a day when the Son of Man will be ashamed of you. But if you count everything as lost now, Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. There's this stunning mixture of warning and assurance here. And I want to ask each of you, have you wrestled with this? Have you wrestled with what it means to follow Christ in this way? Are you losing it all for the sake of Christ? Or are you trying to amass more and more for the sake of your comfort? Have you ever wondered, am I ashamed of Jesus? You know, there are a lot of ways that we can be ashamed of Jesus. Jesus is not terribly popular in our society. He says things and does things that we don't like. His sexual ethics are not popular in America today. And that's not all. He is adamantly opposed to materialism, and we love stuff. Have you wondered... Do I love Jesus? Or am I ashamed of Jesus? Do I wish that Jesus would just leave me alone, save my soul, and let me have my stuff? Will Jesus be ashamed of me one day? Jesus is not saying this to be mean. He's saying this to save your life. And so I want to urge you, be brutal with yourself. Do you love your stuff or do you love the Lord? You know, if you love the Lord, you will give up your stuff for the sake of the spread of the kingdom. You will be sacrificial. Nothing will seem precious compared to Jesus Christ. But I'll be honest, this passage is frightening. Jesus is calling us to a kind of obedience that seems utterly impossible. And if you have read these verses before, or perhaps you're, you're thinking about them now and you're somewhat afraid. I want to ask, what, what hope do you and I have? What could encourage us? Because who among us has done this perfectly? No one. All of us at times are, are guilty of not following Christ like we should. And so what encouragement and hope is there? How can you and I come to church and sing songs of praise? How can we sleep at night? When that possibility of Jesus one day being ashamed of us is out there in the future. Well, I think the last thing that we're going to see this morning is the only thing that makes it possible to genuinely follow Christ. So look with me at this cloud of glory and let's see what our Savior is like. Look at verse 28 with me. I'm going to read 28 through 36. It says, Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. In Greek, it says his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. 
And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now look, this is glory like we can scarcely imagine. In fact, I love to talk about glory. I think there are lots of ways that we get tastes of it in different places. You know, a glory of a, of a good teacher is in successful students who go on and put that teaching into practice in life. The, the glory of a baker is in fantastic cake and eating cake and seeing people smile and ask for a second slice. Those are, those are little hints of glory. The, the glory of a carpenter is in a beautiful finished table. You, you can see the worth of the person in the, in the product that they make and their skill. But here's the thing. We cannot imagine this kind of glory. The, the closest we get to it is in the descriptions that we see in Scripture in places like Exodus, where there's a thick cloud encompassing the mountain, and the whole earth shakes with the thunder of God's voice. And, and this is so unreal to us. The only thing our culture does with it is they parody it. They make fun of it. I mean, think, of, think of Monty Python. What does Monty Python do when God speaks? Got a goofy little cartoon cloud that comes across the sky, and God kind of shouts while light flashes from behind the cloud, and they just make fun of it because they can't imagine it being true or real. But this passage describes something that Peter and John both talk about later. They both say, This is the Son of God. They were terrified. Because they saw real glory. Notice this is revealing not just the glory of the Father. It is revealing Jesus' glory. You know, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, we read Exodus 19 earlier, his face reflected God's glory. But nobody said it's the glory of Moses. It was the glory of God reflected in his face. But here... Jesus is the one being transfigured. His glory is what the people are seeing. And they understand this is God Almighty. The Apostle John said this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And he says, we beheld His glory, the glory of the Word made flesh, the glory of Jesus, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, He was full of grace and truth. Jesus displayed His own glory before them, and I believe He did it for at least two reasons. First, God wants you and I to know exactly who Jesus is. He does not want there to be any confusion on this point. Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just someone who comes and tells you what's right and what's wrong. 
he is not just a prophet. He's not someone that comes and speaks on behalf of God what God told him to say. Jesus, in the words of the ancient creed, is light of light, very God of very God. He is begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father, he is equal with God. We ought to recognize that all of the thunder and smoke of Sinai were here on this mountain where Jesus' glory was made known. Jesus appeared radiant in His glory, and the Father spoke from His glory, and the Father told us, listen to Jesus. And what is it that Jesus had said? Well, He had just said that He was going to die. And not only that, He was discussing his coming death with Moses and Elijah. Verse 30 says they were talking with him. And it describes, verse 31, his exodus, his departure, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem where he was crucified. So so exodus in the Old Testament, it's the greatest story of salvation in all the Old Testament. God miraculously delivers his people and saves them. So many of the Psalms look back to that salvation and praise the power of God to rescue his helpless people. And then here, The exact same word is used. He's talking to Moses, and and Moses is like, yeah, that exodus back there, that was pretty great. But your exodus that he's about to accomplish to save and deliver all of us, all of his people, he's about to accomplish that at Jerusalem through the cross. They are talking about God's foreordained plan for the salvation of all of his people. And he's letting you know the cross is not an accident. The cross was part of God's plan from before the foundation of the world was laid. The Father is saying that the Son is the Christ. He is the chosen one. And that we must listen to what he says about this cross. So so make no mistake, this episode is here to make certain that you and I understand Jesus and the Father are one. They both embrace the exact same will. He is the God of the Old Testament. The same glory, the same smoke, the same thunder. All of those are part of who Christ Jesus is. And that divine nature makes the cross of Christ even greater. You see, the glory of Jesus, it's a million times brighter than the sun. All of the writers of scripture describe this moment as being dazzling, unbelievably bright. And that glory means his willingness to die is unthinkable. He is immortal, but he was willing to become man. He never had to die, but he chose death. And the cross magnifies this divine glory of Jesus because Nothing could be more terrible than death on a cross. And yet the perfect son of God was willing to endure it for you and for me. Charles Wesley said it this way, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies." We sang this morning, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So you see that Jesus 
who is equal with the Father, who is worthy of all praise and worship before the cross, shows his infinite compassion, his infinite mercy, his infinite love, his utter humility. Because out of all of his divine majesty, with all of his heavenly glory, he was willing to suffer and die for people like you and me who were cold and indifferent and did not care about God. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't pay attention to his word. We didn't care about what he said. We were in sin, and Jesus showed his love for us by being nailed to a cross, by by laying aside the glory of heaven and taking your place and taking my place. So the first reason that we see this glory is so that we know who Jesus is and fully understand his deity and fully understand his heart in being willing to die for us. Second, I think the second reason this is here, this is to help the disciples take up their crosses and follow Jesus. It seems impossible to lay aside all of your idols to repent of all of your sins and follow Christ until you understand that Jesus did it for you. He's not commanding you to go out and blaze a trail. He's commanding you to follow in his footsteps because he did it first and he makes it possible. No one wants to die. No one aspires to death, certainly not death on a cross. But if Jesus is leading you And if you know who Jesus is and his glory and his humility and his love, then you can follow him to a wooden cross like Peter, who history says was crucified upside down. Or you can go to a chopping block like Paul, who had his head cut off in Rome. Or you can go to a gallows like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was murdered in a concentration camp. Or you can go to a sandy beach in Egypt where your throat will be cut like the 11 martyrs who were murdered by ISIS just a few years ago. If you know the glory of Jesus, you will be willing to follow him completely to whatever death he has for you. Seeing his glory helped Peter, James, and John fully understand who Jesus is. And Peter said, he longed to assure you and to assure me of who Jesus is. You read about it in 2 Peter when he describes this episode. He says, I just want to help you in your faith. And seeing the glory of Jesus will help you. He said, we have a prophetic word that's made more sure because they had seen it. And he said, if I tell you about it, it will help you follow him too. So even if you're not called to die a violent death, and and most of us will probably die in hospital beds someday, even if you're not called to die a violent death, you are still called to die both literally and to all of the sin that you love. Christian, you are invited to do this not only in the water of baptism where you say, I have died with Christ, But you are to do it daily because you are raised to walk with him in newness of life. And I want to end, I want to show you Colossians 3 because it shows this incredible mystery and it helps us know exactly what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. So Colossians is a smaller book. I'd encourage you to turn there and see it with me if you can find it. 
Colossians chapter three. And I wish I had time to just read you the whole chapter because it's so incredible, but I don't. So let me give you a few verses that show what it means that we have died and we are called to continually die. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Notice he talks about him ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died. You have already died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are saying, I deserve the judgment of God for my sin. And I died with Christ. I place my faith that his sacrifice was for me. And Paul says, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you have died with him. And when Christ, who is your life, appears you also will appear with him in glory. There's a future glory that no one is going to miss. And if you want to be part of it, you have to trust Christ. And then he says, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now that's a weird thing because he's already said you're dead. If you have died with Christ, then you will reign with him and live with him. But because you have died with Christ, now put to death, therefore, what is still earthly in you. And then he gives you a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, who among us doesn't still deal with those things? Pornography is so pervasive. And if you're free of that, covetousness, Just wanting things, wanting nicer houses with more bathrooms and better locations and and better cars that start reliably and have heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summer. Those are the things that we chase. And if you have covetousness as part of you, he says, that is idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now... You must put them all away. So Christian, if you have seen the glory of Jesus in the pages of scripture this morning, confess your sins before God and change your life. Live consistently with your faith. And if you have not trusted in Christ, be warned that the wrath of God is coming because of your sin and be ready. You cannot continue in sin. Either you will trust Christ and be changed to be like him, or you will face final judgment and God will put an end to your sin. Let me ask you this morning, do you love what Jesus did for you? Have you repented of your pride, of your greed, of your impurity? Do not worship your possessions. In fact, be willing to surrender them at the feet of Jesus. Are you worshiping at his feet this morning? Christian, are you taking up your cross daily? It's not just a one-time thing. It happens every time you wake up in the morning and every time you go to sleep. Your life does not belong to you. You were bought with a price by the precious blood of Christ. Are you living for the one who died and rose again? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I ask for your help this morning that you would let us see the glory of Jesus so that we would count our possessions 
and our idols as cheap and worthless dung to be thrown away as we eagerly follow after you. I pray that you would make us ready for the day when we stand before you and that none who are here would cause you any shame. Lord, we depend on you to do this work. We cannot do it ourselves. Help us to see the glory of Christ in communion as we celebrate the body and blood of Jesus. And help us to walk in newness of life as we should. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I dismiss you this morning, I want to urge you to be obedient to whatever God has laid on your heart. If you need to be baptized, I would love to baptize you. Just let me know. If you need to repent of some sin, I'd urge you to take a few moments and and talk to the Lord about it even now. And I want to leave you with a couple of verses that Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says, For the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God can show the glory of Jesus to your heart. And he says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. If you're not perfect, nobody is. But as you look at Jesus Christ, you will be changed into His glory. And I want to leave you and encourage you with that. Go in peace.